This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Funding for this class is provided by Benjamin Arieh and family in loving memory of Raphael, son of Chacham Rabbi Chia. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg We are at the bottom of page 52 We're discussing the Jewish soul how all Jewish souls are rooted in Hashem's wisdom and God's wisdom, and God and His wisdom are one. So really, every Jewish neshama is rooted in God's essence. As He says, every Jewish neshama is a chelek, a lakami mamish, literally a piece of the divine essence. So the question now is, if that's the case, if that's true, why is it that we find such differences between one soul and the next? You find Jews that are naturally very refined, very spiritually oriented, very open. Then you have Jews who are very intellectually, with an intellectual bent, philosophical bent. You have Jews who are very emotional. And then you have Jews who are um, action-oriented. Results, action, all business, down to earth. If what makes us Jewish is that we have a Jewish soul, then how come there's so many differences such a huge difference in one Jew and the next, one Jewish soul and the next, if at the root we're all the same. And that's what he's going to address now. The Alter Rebbe now addresses a difficulty arising from his previous statement that every soul emanates from divine wisdom. Since all souls emanate from one source, supernal wisdom, it should follow that all souls are of the same level and rank. How then do the various levels and ranks found in Jewish souls come about? True, there are myriads of different gradations of souls, neshama, rank upon rank, ad infinitum. For example, the souls of the patriarchs and of Moses, our teacher, are by far superior to the souls of our own generation, which belong to the period preceding the coming of the Mashiach. For the latter souls are like the very souls of the feet in comparison with the brain and the head. Just as the life force found in the souls of the feet cannot possibly be compared to that found in the head and brain, so too can there be no comparison between the souls of these present generation and those souls here called the head and brain of earlier generations. The Jewish people are like one organic whole. Take all the generations together. So the generation of Moshe in this organic whole, his generation, his contemporaries are the head, the brain of the Jewish people. This is the generation that left Egypt. This is the generation that God performed all these open wonders and miracles. This is the generation that God gave the Torah to. Our souls stood at Sinai, but they were physically present at Sinai. As a wise man once said, from their sins the Torah is written. From our mitzvot no one is writing any Torahs. So this, this is the role model for future generations. This, these are the peers, the contemporaries of Moshe. 
versus our soul, we are called ikvasa the Mashiach. We are the, by comparison, we are the souls of the feet, the angel of death within the body, the least sensitive part of the body, the bottom of the feet, the soles of the feet don't feel anything. You scrape it, you don't feel anything. We are the least sensitive of all the, uh, of all the organs. Now, there are, of course, advantages to the soles of the feet versus the brain. The soles of the feet are, are better soldiers, are, are good soldiers. If you order your head into hot water, your head resists. Your head knows where hot water is, and your head resists. It's easier to put your foot in hot water than it is to put your head in hot water. Your foot is a soldier. You want to go into hot water, I go into hot water. So that characteristic, that quality of self-sacrifice, of not thinking about myself and just doing what needs to be done with a mesirat nefesh, with a dedication and a devotion, the dedication of the feet to the soul is much greater than the dedication of the head to the soul. The head has a mind of its own. The head resists. The head doesn't take orders so easily. The head wants to understand wants to, before it makes a move. The, but the dedication, to be so devoted and dedicated, to be a soldier, we will do, we will obey, as a soldier should. You say the only reason a soldier has a head is so that he can fit his helmet. A soldier has to obey orders. A soldier is, well, as a precondition, has to understand and, and his order before he goes forward. Yeah, you don't have an army. An army is based on mashmat, on discipline, on dedication, self-sacrifice. Not about me. You obey the order. Nasa, we will do, and then we will listen and understand and study it and think about it. So, which part of the body is a more loyal soldier to the soul? The foot is much more loyal to the soul than the head. And that's why you find in our generation, the last generation, the lowest generation of all generations, the least spiritually sensitive, the most desensitized generation of all, with hardly any feelings and hardly any understanding and hardly any pleasure and will, but yet the loyalty and the faithfulness that you find in this generation, it's the envy of the previous generations. Moses, Moshe was jealous and envious of our generation. Such loyalty, such dedication, such devotion. It's one thing to worship Hashem when you're seeing miracles and you're seeing open wonders and you see the cloud and you see Hashem's presence. It's another thing when you're in exile close to 2,000 years. We haven't seen Hashem in 2,000 years. Or we've seen His Holocaust and pogroms and, 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 and yet and we've seen uh, Gimel Tamazin, we've seen uh, Aslos and uh, 1, 2, and 3 and disengagements and tzaras after tzaras and anti-Semitism and viciousness and darkness. And Mashiach hasn't come yet. And despite all of that, a Jew still remains faithful and loyal. Such loyalty, such devotion, such soldiers, the Jewish people have never seen. So that's the characteristic of our generation. That in our generation, that's when you see the purity of the Jewish soul. The feet are much more connected to the soul than the head. So the purity of the Jewish soul you see in, only in our generation. And there's so much assimilation and so much... And yet, despite all of that, you have such connection and such loyalty. No ulterior motive. 
And yet hundreds of thousands of young Jews without and the benefit of any Jewish education have come back and returned and reconnected with a vengeance. But nevertheless, you can't compare it to the head. The head is where you have all the higher qualities, the mind, the brain, the eyes. So that's the first generation of Jews. They saw godliness. They experienced godliness. They heard, felt, understood sense godliness versus our generation where we don't feel we don't see and we don't hear we're like spiritually blind deaf and dumb so you see that there's such a huge difference in one generation and the next it's not the same even though the Jew is eternal and it's the same Jew that stood at Sinai and the same Jew that stood during the temple and the same Jew but that's the core the essence of the Jew but overtly, there's such huge differences between one, one Jewish generation and the next Jewish generation. How can you compare the generation of Moshe, Moshe's contemporaries, Moshe's peers, his equals? The generation that the entire Torah was written about. The role model for future generations. How can you compare the six original 600,000 souls that represents the entire Jewish people? The general souls of all the Jewish people, as we learned in the introduction to the Tanya. How could you compare that generation to our generation? It's like one extreme to the other extreme. And then throughout history, the Talmud says the generation of Chizkiah, who Hashem wanted to make Mashiach, in his generation you couldn't find a child from Dan all the way up north till Be'er Sheva, the southern border of Israel. You couldn't find a child who was not totally familiar with the laws of purity and impurity. Today you could hardly find a rabbi or a Rashi Shiva that's knowledgeable in these laws, let alone totally fluent in these laws. It's such a rare thing. And then you could hardly find a child that wasn't totally fluent in these laws. And these laws were applicable then and relevant. So can you imagine such a generation? The peers of Chizkiah and Mela? Chizkiah. So how can you compare our generation to that generation? So you see that every generation has its own characteristic, its own personality, its own flavor, and so many, so many different levels. That's when you compare one generation to the next generation. Then within each generation, continue. Similarly, within each generation, we find the same disparity among the Shema. There are those who are the heads, the leaders, of the multitude of Israel, so designed because their souls are in the category of head and brain in comparison with those of the masses and the ignorant. Within each generation, you have the leaders of the generation, like the Moshe of that generation. And then you have the other extreme, the masses, the multitudes, the simple people, the earthy people, the cobblers, the tailors, the simple people. And then you have the learned people, and then you have the the holy people, the souls, the mystics, the righteous, the saints. And you have the eyes, they call the eyes of the community because they lead the community and they're the visionaries of the community and they're the inspiration of the community. So you have one extreme to the next. Within each generation itself, you have such a huge difference between one Jew and the next. Likewise, there are similar distinctions between Nefashot and Nefashot, the soul levels of Nefesh, where every soul consists of Nefesh, Ruach, and Neshama. Just as the soul level of Neshama varies from one Jew to another, so too do the levels of Rishua and Nefesh. So, 
every neshama is made up of three different parts. Nefesh, ruach, neshama. Nefesh refers to the active powers in the soul, to do, to speak, to think. The ruach represents the emotions within the neshama, the emotional abilities of the neshama, to love, to feel attracted towards, to be repulsed by compassion. And then you have neshama represents the intellectual faculties of the soul, perception, wisdom, understanding, knowledge. So when you compare one soul to the next, you have, it's, you're, not just, you're comparing all the different levels because it's not just uh, you're comparing one nefesh to another nefesh, one ruach to another ruach, one neshama to another neshama. Um, so there are many variations between one soul and the next. And you can have one person who's predominantly nefesh. They're, they're doers. They do, they think, they get things done. They speak, they do. Think. Then you have people who are ruach. They have heart. Heartfelt. You know, and then you have neshama. You have people who have understanding. Deep understanding. So you have such, a, such variations within, within, uh, within the soul itself. You have variations. A person could reach one level and then when he... He's ready, he advances to the next level, and then when he's ready, he advances to the next level. So there's such variations between one Jew and the next. So the question is, you would think, why is there such differences between one generation and another generation? Within each generation itself, why is there such a difference between one the heads of the generation and the multitudes, the masses of the generation? And between one person and the next, within all these multitudes and masses, is a difference between Nefesh, Ruach, and Hashem. We have all these variations and differences. You would think that the difference is that there must be a difference at the source. That someone who comes from a higher source is a higher soul. He's rooted in a deeper source, is a higher soul. And someone who's a lower soul, it's because he's rooted in a lower source. Because everything in this world is just a symptom of what's going on on a higher level, in the spiritual world. So the fact that there are such differences, there's such diversity between one soul and the next, it's a result of the diversity of their roots, of their sources. So one soul is rooted, so to speak, in a deeper level of godliness, and the other soul is rooted in a more superficial level. And the question is, so then how, how do we say that each and every Jew is a chilek, elokah, mimal mamash, that each and every Jew is literally a piece of God and has the same source, comes from God's wisdom, and God and His wisdom are one, that each and every Jewish soul is rooted in God's essence. Because if at the root we are all the same, so why, then how are there such differences? Between one soul and the next. And within each soul, there's so, so many differences, variations, nefesh, ruach, neshama. If we have one source, how do you end up from one source, how do you end up with such variety? If there's unity, then we should all be the same. How are there, so, how are there such differences? In a more general way, this is the old philosophical question that troubled all the philosophers. If God is one, how do you end up with such pluralism, with such diversity? 
How do you take get from one? Do you get such a multiplicity and a multitude? But especially here we're saying that the Jewish soul is rooted in the essence of God. So if every Jewish soul is rooted in the essence of God, so every Jewish soul should be the same. How do we get such diversity, such differences between one soul and the next? And within each, our own soul is also such diversity. We advance from Nefesh to Ruach to Neshama. How could there be so many such variations, such differences, the difference between my Nefesh and your Nefesh, my Ruach and your Ruach, my Neshama? Because each Jew's emotions is different and each, each Jew's heartfelt uh, service of God is different and each Jew's understanding and perception is different. So how could there be such diversity if we are all rooted in the same soul. Thus we see how manifold are the differences in the ranks of souls. Accordingly, we would expect similar variations in their divine sources. The greater the soul, the higher its source. Nevertheless, the root of every nefesh grew up in the Shama, from the highest of all ranks to the lowest, the lowest being those souls embodied within the illiterate and the most light-minded of light-minded Jews. All are derived, as it were, from the supreme mind, which is Chachma, Ili'aha, so nevertheless, every single Jew, from the greatest to the smallest, smallest he refers to as light-minded, light-headed, the least serious person, a person who doesn't take himself seriously, a person who doesn't take his life seriously, a person who couldn't care less, doesn't care about anything. The most light, Kal Shabakalim. Kal Shabakalim is the lowest level person who doesn't care, doesn't value his life, doesn't value himself, doesn't care how he acts, what difference does it make, doesn't care about anything. He takes himself so, so, he takes himself so uh, in, lightly that it means nothing, his behavior, how he acts, how he behaves, versus a person who's a serious person, a person who takes himself seriously, takes his life seriously, takes his behavior seriously, acts responsibly, versus a person who couldn't care less. That's a kal shabakalim. That's the lowest, on the totem pole, that's the lowest level. A person who has so, doesn't value himself, doesn't value his soul, doesn't value his life, doesn't value his being, couldn't care less how I act. What's the difference? I just want to have fun, and I don't care how I act, and how I behave, and if I, what the consequences are, I just couldn't care less. That's a very light-headed person. That's what he calls a kal shabakal. So imagine a soul that has so little energy and so little power and so little strength. Kal shabakal, not sensitive to anything spiritual, doesn't take anything spiritual to heart, doesn't take life to heart, doesn't take his own life to heart, and uh, surely doesn't take other people to heart. If you don't take yourself to heart, if you don't take your own soul to heart, you're not going to take other people to heart. Um, but nevertheless, every single soul is rooted in the divine wisdom, in the chachma ilah, supernal wisdom, the level of the divine wisdom of the world of emanation. So, the question then remains, how do you have such diversity? If we all come from the same root, and we all come from the same source, how is it possible? How do you end up with one soul, the soul of Moses, and the soul of his contemporaries, and how do you end up with souls of our generation? Souls like us. How, how do you have such a diversity? If we all come from the same source, how do you end up with such a 
Souls that are intense, souls that are deep, souls that are profound, souls on fire. And then end up souls with no feeling, no sensitivity, no awareness, and couldn't care less. And Jews. Same Jews. How do you end up with such a diversity? It's going to explain it with a parable. Again, going back to the parable of a parent-child relationship. It says, just like the child, the child comes from one root, one source. Every part of the child comes from one root and one source, which is the sperm, the father's sperm, which is rooted in the father's mind, the father's brain. Every part of the child is, comes from the same root, the same source. Yet, when the sperm is, is in the mother's womb, and it develops over nine months, this sperm transforms itself, begins a process that transforms itself into the brain, but then it moves its way down to the rest of the body, down to the toenail, the ears, toenail. It all comes from the same sperm. So it all comes from the same root, the same source. And the same source develops into brain down down to the foot and to the toenail. So there is such a diversity. You have the same question there. How do you have one source and yet you have such, such diversity? The brain, the heart, and then here, nails, and the, and the nails in the foot, the toenails, the lowest part of the body. How is it possible one source and such diversity? Two same rules, different parts of the same? That's the living organism. The living organism is a dynamic organism, but it's really one entity. It's one whole entity. That's the way we feel ourselves. We feel ourselves as one entity. You don't feel yourself as a diversity. You don't feel yourself as a bag of bones. You feel yourself as one entity. You're one entity that expresses itself in here and in nails and in feet and in hands and 248 uh, organs and 365, uh, 248 limbs, 365 veins. But ultimately, you're one entity that expresses itself in, in, in this diversity. It's the same entity expressing itself in many different ways. So the heart expresses one aspect of this entity. The mind expresses itself another aspect of the entity. The hair and the nails express another aspect of the entity. Ultimately, they're all expressing the same thing in their own unique way. And that's why no organs are alike. There's no redundancy. And um, every organ is unique. Because every organ expresses the same unified entity, the same single entity, but in a in unique way. So each one is expressing the same entity in a in unique way, which explains why they're all connected. They still remain connected. Even after the 
baby progresses and develops into a full-fledged human being with 248 limbs, 365 veins, and the child grows up, even when the child grows up, the child, the entire organism remains connected to the brain within the child. Because the brain is the command and control center of the whole organism. The brain is the only organ in the body that senses the whole. That senses that the organism is one whole organism. It's not a composite. It's not a composition of limbs and organs and veins and, and, and blood and skin and bones. It's one entity that expresses itself in thousands of details. But it's one dynamic entity, one organic whole. It's interrelated and interconnected. The toenail hurts, the brain can't think. It's all connected. And who senses that connection? The brain within the child. That's the command and control center of the whole body. The brain is the part of the body that senses the whole, that the body is one whole. Even though what's the connection externally, superficially, what's the connection between the liver and the pancreas and the heart? The liver is a liver and the heart is a heart. There's no connection. But the truth is they work in perfect harmony because the brain instills a realization, awareness into the liver and into the heart and into the leg, into the toenail. You're not just a leg or a toenail or a brain or heart. You, we're part of one entity. We're part of one dynamic system, one whole system that expresses itself in all these thousands of details. But really we're one and the same. So what we see from this analogy with the human body is we see that A, they have one source. This whole development begins with the sperm from the father, the father's mind, the father's brain. Then that same source develops into this diverse this diversity, one extreme to the next, even after the child develops, the child still nourishes itself, is nourished from that source. And how is it nourished from that source? By every part of the organism, including the, down to the toenail, is connected, remains connected to the brain of the child which is connected to its source, the brain of the father. So that every, or, its org, every part of the organism still receives its nourishment from its source. Because it's, the, it's that source that instills that realization that really it's all one and the same. But it's that same unity expressing itself in many, many different parts. To use another analogy that may make it easier to understand... If you take a, a painting by a master artist, hang, up, hang it up against the wall, right next to it hang up a painting of an amateur who copied, a perfect copy of the master painting. Anyone, even a lay person, will be able to point out which is the masterpiece and which is the copy. How? It's a perfect copy. Every line is there. Every line is perfect. The shade, the color. What, what does the layperson see? What does the, the amateur see in the master's painting that's missing in the, in the perfect copy? What's the difference between the master portrait? 
Why do people pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for a master portrait? But if you just make a perfect copy, it doesn't have the same value. What's, what's the value of the master portrait? The original inspiration of the artist. Okay. It was also built from, from zero to a hundred. The other one is built opposite, the opposite direction. Okay, good. In other words, what, what's art? Art is the artist has a vision. Creativity. He has a burning vision in his soul. And he pours out that vision on paper. Now, that vision practically, technically, mechanically has hundreds and thousands of lines and shades and colors. But that's not, what the, that's not the vision of the artist. The artist has a vision, a singular vision that's burning in his soul. And he pours that vision out on paper. That vision incorporates, includes in itself all these lines and details, the technical, mechanical details. But that's not what the picture is all about. The picture is about that creative, artistic uh, vision and insight and energy and that he's pouring out. So there's something alive about the picture. It starts with life and it ends up with the techniques and the mechanics. The amateur artist, the one who's copying the picture, he's working, like you say, from the bottom up. He's working with the techniques and the mechanics. All the techniques and the mechanics in the world don't add up to life, to soul. The artist starts out with soul. And the soul, as it pours out, incorporates and includes the technique and the mechanics. The soul brings with it the body, the vessel, the, the techniques and the mechanics. But if you start with the vessel and the technique and the mechanic, you start with the external, it doesn't add up to soul. So it's, it's dead, it's lifeless. Everything is perfect, but you look at it and it's lifeless. It's dead. It's mechanical. But there's nothing there. There's nobody home. That's like the scientist. All the scientists in the world cannot create the life of a fly. Because it doesn't equal soul. All the techniques and the machines and the mechanics in the world, they're not equal soul. You have one soul, and the soul comes already with the body and the technique and the mechanic. Take a living tree, for example. A tree is made up of many parts. There's roots, and there's the bark, and there's the stem, and there's the leaves. and there's. But that's not what a tree is. A tree is a living creature, a living organism. The living organism expresses itself in a trunk, in a bark, in a, in a twig, in a fruits, in roots. But it, it's really, it's not about all these multitude of details. It's a living, dynamic, organic system that expresses itself in all these details. And that's life. Life is something within. And the life brings with it the body and the physical and the mechanical and the tec- technical. And the same is, that's how we experience ourselves. From the inside out, the way we experience our own personal experience. We don't feel our body. You don't wake up in the morning, you have to touch your body to know that you're there. You have to hear yourself singing in the shower to know that you're there. See yourself in the mirror. You wake up, you feel. Well, who do you feel? What do you feel? Nothing physical, nothing external. The way you experience yourself from the inside out, you're feeling your soul, that single entity, that life that you can't put your finger on, but that's more real to you than anything in the world that you taste, touch, or smell, or experience with the five senses. And the body and the 248 limbs and the nails and the hair, they're just an expression of that dynamic soul. And that single dynamic soul, that single organic whole, 
expresses itself through here, through nails, through a liver, through this, or the skin, through the bones, through every part of the body. But how do you experience life? How do you feel that life, that reality from the inside out? You don't experience, you don't feel here and, and nails and skin. You just, you're alive, you feel yourself. That's that intangible, that soul, that dynamic whole entity that expresses itself through all these diverse entities. But really, it's all one and the same. The liver, it's not about being a liver. There's no politics in the human organism. It's not the liver is fighting with the heart. There's no, the liver is not about being a liver. The heart is not, not about being a heart. It's about being a mind. It's all about living, expressing that life force. The liver expresses the life force the way a liver expresses, and the, the heart expresses that same life force via the heart and the mind, etc. And therefore, there's no politics. It's perfect harmony. Perfect har- har- harmony between all the organs, even though they're so diverse. How can there be such peace and harmony within the human organism when it's so diverse? There's blood and there's... And yet, it's perfect. Because it's not about... The blood is not an entity in itself and the heart is not an entity in itself and the liver is not an entity and the nails and the hair. It's all one dynamic organism. That's the way it's sensed from the inside out. That's the reality. Who senses this reality? The brain. That's the awareness center. That's, the, that's why the brain, the mind, is the command and control center of the whole body and the whole organism. Your toenail hurts. Your mind feels the pain. It's the, it, it coordinates the whole body. Because the mind senses the soul, senses that inner feeling, that inner sense of, a, of whole, that the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts, and it instills that feeling and that sense into every part of the body. The ear, the toenail, the, or the heart, it doesn't, that it shouldn't forget, it's not about a heart, independent, a heart, what do I have to do with my liver? I'm, I'm better than a liver, I'm superior to the liver. It's not about a heart. You're, about, you're part of one reality. That same reality expresses itself in the heart. In the, in... And that's the story of the Jewish people. That's the analogy that he's giving to the Jewish people. And that's where the concept of Klal Yisrael comes from. That every Jew is part of Klal Yisrael, we're part of the Jewish whole. As reflected in the Code of Jewish Law, it says that Hashem does not despise the prayer of a minion of a community. When you daven with a community, it's so powerful that even if you're not worthy, Hashem never turns away the prayer of a community. That's why the word in the Talmud for community is tzibur, the Aramaic word. It's an acronym for three words. Tzadikim, Beninim, and Rishayim. Because a community is comprised of Tzadikim and Beninim and Rishayim. Because when they're part of the community, Hashem overlooks the fact that he's a Russia. When you're part of the community, when a Jew plugs in to Klal Yisrael, that general energy that I belong to the Jewish whole, and I belong to the Jewish organism, and I'm a link in the chain, and I'm part of something greater than myself, then Hashem looks at every Jew favorably. It doesn't matter if you're a tzaddik, a rasha, a ben, even a rasha, because then you're perfect. Because when a Jew is, approaches Hashem as an individual, as an individual, Hashem puts us under the magnifying glass. You're a heart? Let me see if you're a good heart. What kind of heart are you? You're a liver? You're a toenail? Let me see what kind of, what's going on with you. But when you plug into the Jewish whole, I'm part of the whole. 
that's greater than the sum total of its parts, and I'm plugged into a Jewish eternity, into the Klal Yisrael, from Avram Avinu all the way to the end of time, Hashem looks at everyone favorably because you're part of something greater than yourself. A Jew lives his life not only for himself, he lives his life to help another person, dedicates his life to help another person, and then you're plugging into that energy of Klal Yisrael. It's not just about me. Then Hashem looks at everyone favorably. Then these differences are not differences that divide us. These differences are differences to celebrate. Because the fact is that every Jew is unique, just like in the human organism. Every organism is unique. There are no spare tires. God did not make any redundant. Everything in the human body is there for a reason. A unique purpose serves a unique function. So to every Jew in the world is unique. There never was a Jew like you. There never will be another Jew like you. Every one of us experiences our Yiddishkeit, the same Yiddishkeit, but experiences it in our own unique way. And we add to it our own unique flavor. And all the entire Jewish people are dependent on us, just like the entire organism is dependent on the liver being a liver. In order for the body to be healthy, the liver has to be a liver, and the toenail has to be a toenail, and here has to be here. Every part of the body has to do its function and express its uniqueness. And then and only then is the entire person considered whole and wholesome. So too, every Jew is unique, and when every Jew celebrates his uniqueness and adds his or her two cents to the Jewish experience, the best of their ability, and express their Yiddishkeit wholeheartedly and sincerely with the best, with every fiber of their being and every bone in their body, expressing it to the best of their ability, which enriches the entire Jewish experience. So then these differences are not differences that distinguish us. Hey, I'm a head and you're a toenail. How can I respect you? How can I love you? We're not the same. No. We're all the same. We have the same root. We have the same source. And we express that same truth, that same reality, in many different ways. In our own unique way. But, after the child develops, after the organism develops, into this diverse human being, the human being at all times must be connected to the head, to the mind, in order to receive its nourishment. And in in the nimshal, in the analogy, who is the mind? Who is the mind of the Jewish people? The tzaddik, the rebbe of the the generation. The rebbe is is an acronym for three Hebrew words. Rosh, B'nai Yisrael. A rebbe and this is the central role of a Rebbe. A Rebbe, or the Moshe Rabbeinu of our generation, of every generation, is the mind of the Jewish people, the head of the Jewish people. Because the Rebbe is the one who senses Klal Yisrael, the whole, the Jewish whole, how the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts, how each individual Jew is part of something greater than themselves. The brain is more than just being a brain. As an individual organ, the brain is the highest organ the most refined organ, the highest organ, but that's not, that's, the brain is also part of something larger than itself, equally to the toenail. It's not about the brain, it's not about the toenail, it's about that living, intangible, living, dynamic, whole organism. And the brain is the one, the Rebbe is the one who instills this sense of Klausel, this sense of connection, this sense of interrelationship, of interconnection, that truly at the essence, we're truly one and the same. The Rebbe instills this sense and feeling into each and every Jew. And makes each and every Jew aware of their responsibility and their privilege. 
not just living life for yourself. You are representing Klal Yisrael, and you are contributing something that's unique, that's of tremendous value, irreplaceable. You're indispensable to the Jewish whole. Every single Jew in the world is indispensable. Every single Jew in the world is irreplaceable. There never was a Jew like you, there never will be. And Klal Yisrael needs your personal participation. Because if there's one Jew missing, if there's one Jew who doesn't consciously participate as a Jew, and doesn't feel part of Jewish history or Jewish destiny, then the entire Jewish people are lacking. Moshe Rabbeinu is lacking. Rabbi Shimon Bayechoi, the author of the Zohar, writes, if there were 600,000 Jews minus one at Mount Sinai, Moshe cannot receive the Torah. Because every last Jew is indispensable. Moshe would be considered a cripple. He's not whole. It's like the organism missing a finger. The whole organism is a cripple. If you're missing a finger, the whole organism is a cripple. If there's one Jew out of the picture, one Jew who's alienated from his Jewishness, who feels distant from his Jewishness, self-hating Jew or Jew who's indifferent, the entire Jewish people suffer because he's part of the organism. It doesn't matter if he's a toenail or a here or a left hand or right hand. He's an indispensable part of the whole and a unique part. So this is the unique blend and paradox of Judaism where we celebrate the community but not at the expense of the individual. At the same time, we also celebrate the individual. Every individual is a whole world. Represents the whole world. Because when you look at an individual organ, not just as being an isolated organ, but as expressing that same root and that same source, but in in its own unique way, then every organ is, is, is part of the whole, is a representative of the whole. So yes, the, it's not enough for the individual to be an individual. For a Jew, it's not enough to live alone. A Jew has to participate with Klal Yisrael. You have to daven with a minion. You have to be part of the community. You have to get married. You have to be part of the community. You can't just live alone. But on the other hand, you can't sacrifice the individual for the sake of the community. Unlike in communism or in other isms, where for the sake of the general good, we sacrifice the individual. In socialism, communism, that, that's, that's false. In Judaism, you're not allowed to sacrifice the individual for the sake of the community. Because every individual is an entire world. It's a reflection of the whole. The atom is a reflection of the whole. It's just as infinitely complex as the whole universe. But you can't sacrifice the community for the individual either. No, of course not. But you're not allowed to sacrifice even an individual for the sake of the community. So every Jew, on one hand, is a whole, represents the whole. On the other hand, every Jew is part of something larger than himself. You can't just be focused on yourself. You're part of something larger than us. We have to feel part of Klal Yisrael. When you connect it to the Rebbe, you connected to the Rebbe connects you to that whole dynamic of Klal Yisrael, that you're part of, we're all part of something much larger than all of us put together. It's not just about me. I'm a representative of every Jew that ever lived and every Jew that ever will live. And we have to carry ourselves that way and live, and live, live that way. So this is the function of the Rebbe, is the Rosh B'nai Yisrael. So when every organism is connected to the head and receives its life and its nourishment from the head, 
and their head senses the whole, their head is connected to the supernal wisdom, to the ultimate root and source of the Jewish soul, which is the supernal wisdom, which is the same root and source of all Jewish souls, because really we are really one and the same. It's really All there is really is one Jewish soul in 14 million bodies, but really is one Jewish soul. And when we're connected to the head, and the head is consciously connected to the whole, to the supernal wisdom, to the root and to the source, that's how we receive our spiritual nourishment and our spiritual vitality. And we are connected to Hashem. And that's why the only way for a Jew to really connect to Hashem is by being connected to the Rebbe, by being connected to the Tzaddik. Because it's only when you're connected to the root, to the source, to the head, that you're able to connect to the to the root and to the source and be able to receive that godly nourishment and that godly nurturing. So this explains the whole concept of the Jewish organism, of the concept of Klal Yisrael, the concept of a Rebbe, of a Tzaddik, the leader of the generation. Why do we need a Rebbe if every Jew has a direct connection with God? Baruch every Jew prays to God directly. But the Rebbe is the Rosh Hashanah, just like in the human organism. The toenails and the hair receive the nourishment, ultimately, from the mind, the brain of, of the child, which is connected to the, uh, obviously connected to its, the ultimate source of the entire organism, which is the brain of the father, the sperm of the father, which transformed itself into the brain of the child, which is the most obvious connection. That's why the child thinks like a child of parents. We can get into the mind of our parents. We are so alike. So our minds think alike. We're the only ones who can truly understand our parents because we are our parents. So the mind is an obvious connection to its source, the brain of the parent. You see the connection. The brain of the child thinks like the brain of the parent. It's tuned in. It knows how to really get to the mind and understand it like no one else could. Even the best friends can never really truly understand you from the inside out. Only the way a child could truly understand you. Because the child is you. So where do you see that connection to the truth and to the source? The obvious connection, you see it most in the brain, which hasn't gone far from the source. It started out in the brain of the father and, and it developed into the brain of the child, which thinks like the father and has the potential, all the potential of the father that sometimes could actualize that potential even more than the father. And where does the rest of the body of the child receive its nourishment now, after the child has been develop, has developed? Even the toenail, it receives its nourishment from its brain. That's the command and control center of the whole body, of the whole organism. And that's the parable. And the analogy is, so too with the Jewish people. The Jewish people, Klal Yisrael is one dynamic whole organism. And the organism has many, many different layers, many, many different levers. You have the brain, because this, the soul, the spark, comes from the supernal wisdom. Just like in the mother's womb, it takes nine months, and then it develops further and further away from its source, till at the end it develops into here, into nail. So too, as the divine spark goes through all the worlds, so there's some souls that stop on a higher level, on a higher station, so they stay there. So they become the minds, the brains of the Jewish people the eyes of the Jewish people, the ears of the Jewish people, the communication, the speech of the Jewish people. Then you have those souls who go a little lower. They stop at the heart. They become the heart Jews, the heart of the Jews are with fire, with feeling, with love, with emotion. Then you have the, the souls who develop even further. 
they, their souls descends even lower. They become the legs or the feet or the actions, the hands and the legs and the feet, all the way down to the toenails. These are the souls that he calls Kal Shabakalim, the light-headed ones. Those who feel nothing, don't care about anything, who have very little spiritual sensitivity. But nevertheless, all of them come from the same root, the same source, the supernal wisdom. And even now, after it developed, they all receive nourishment from the brain, which is connected to the original source. And in the analogy that ultimately every Jew is part of this dynamic organism. The brain is just as connected as the toenail. It's all connected. It's all one organism. If the whole Jewish people is this integrated organism, everybody has its own role and everybody is still connected to the mind, what is the purpose of reaching out to Jews and like, finding a Jew who is not observant, and what's the point of reaching out if anyway the connection is there? Okay, because they're not only connected to the mind, they're connected to each other. We're all interlinked and interconnected. So if there's one Jew who's missing, missing in action, if like you have an organ but it's not functioning, there has to be a conscious connection, a, a dynamic, a live connection. The connection is there whether they know it or not. But if it's dormant and it's hidden and it's not conscious and it's not alive, the Jew is not active as a Jew. The Jew consciously doesn't feel part of Jewish history and doesn't feel part of Jewish destiny and doesn't feel at home as a Jew and doesn't feel connected, then it's like, it's like a hand that's there, but the hand is dead. It's, 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 it's lifeless. And that affects, that affects all of us. So how can you sit and celebrate Ayantiv and you're joyous and so excited and thrilled that you're connected and you're plugged in when your Jewish neighbor is oblivious, is walking around as if Shabbos is not Shabbos and Yantav is not Yantav, is not even aware of it, may not even be sitting at a Seder. So what kind of Seder are we choking our food? What kind of food? How can I enjoy my Seder when I know that part of me, my hand, my liver, my this is not here? It's not functioning. It's not alive. It's not... Uh... Then the whole organism is sick. It's crippled. So because we're all interlinked, we're all interconnected. I can't just... I'm a perfect heart. What's my business that there's, that there's a toenail hurting somewhere? What do you mean? Of course it's your business. Because we're all the same. The fact that I'm a heart that's a toenail... It's not about being a heart. It's not about being a toenail. We're expressing that dynamic life force, which is one. And that dynamic life force is expressing itself equally in the toenail and the heart. And each one expresses a different aspect, a different unique aspect of, of, that, of that entity, single, undiv- undivisible entity. So of course I care. What do you mean? We're all one and the same. We're all connected. But who instills that feeling? The Rebbe. That's why it was the Rebbe who sent out all the shluchim to care about every Jew in the world. Why didn't anyone else send out? Because the Rosh B'nai Yisrael senses that sense of Kal Yisrael and instills in each and every one of us to care about another Jew that way. That we're, to realize we're all interlinked and all interconnected. Well, it's one dynamic system. It's not 248 different entities that like each other, respect each other. And it's, it's, it's one and the same. It's one entity. It's like you're missing, you're missing, you're missing your own hand. Or a tooth is missing. It bothers you. You can't just ignore it. The pain bothers you. So you do something about it. One Jew is hurting and one Jew is disconnected. Consciously disconnected. And and how come this 
like the, the, the last rabbi was the one who actually started this app for them. Like the, uh, the previous rabbi, did, I guess, apparently at least, I guess to me, did not have the same effort in place. Actually, the previous rabbi started the effort. The rabbi uh, um, expanded it and uh, um, took it globally and uh, implemented it, literally all four corners of the world. The vision, the idea, the concept began with the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe. But the practical implementation and the expansion and the scope, the global scope and actually implementing it, that was carried out, that was done by, by the Rebbe. Um, you know, every generation has its mission. This obviously is the mission of our generation, of our times. It says the Jewish people were exiled because of causeless hatred, and the only answer, antidote to the darkness of exile, is causeless love, unconditional love. So this is our way, this is our key to redemption. By one Jew demonstrating his unconditional love for his fellow Jew, that he's ready to move out to the end of the earth, just to help another Jew and just to make Judaism comfortable and make the other Jew feel at home. And there's no reason, there's no rhyme or reason, there's no obligation to do it, there's no rhyme, there's no reason, there are many arguments against it. But a Jew puts all his calculations aside and just demonstrates this unconditional love, this pure, simple love that I'm going to share Torah and mitzvahs with another Jew and, I'm going to, and we all care for each other and we're, and we're all responsible for each other. This is the antidote to the darkness of exile. So again, the Rosh B'nai Yisrael, the head of the generation of the Jewish people, he knows, he senses what the divine will is for this generation, what our unique mission is. So the Rebbe defined it very clearly, that our mission in life is to be shluchim, to, to dedicate our lives. Every Jew has to dedicate his life, not just to advance his own spirituality, but every Jew has to dedicate his life to help another Jew as well, advance in their own Jewishness, and to help another Jew physically, unconditionally. And this is the key that will unlock the door from exile. This is the only bright spot in the Jewish community today, the only redeeming factor in the Jewish community today, with all the politics and all the hate and the rancor and the fragmentation. The only bright spot in the Jewish community today are the shluchim, the, 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 the work of the this unconditional love of bringing Yiddishkeit day in, day out to hundreds of thousands of Jews, all four corners of the world, no questions asked, and making it available and accessible and bringing the warmth and the beauty and the joy of Yiddishkeit, you know, using all means of communications. And this is, this is the only bright spot. There's no policy, it's apolitical, there's, you know, a Jew is a Jew is a Jew, and we're all connected, and it's loving, and everyone is welcome, whether you're right-wing, or you're left-wing, or you're reform, or you're conservative, orthodox, unaffiliated, atheist. All these labels mean nothing. A Jew is a Jew, and everyone is welcome, and everyone is... And this is, this is the bright spot today. There's something inspiring and encouraging in the midst of all the darkness that we encounter. It's this beacon of light, of Avas Yisrael, of unconditional love, from one Jew to the next, which is so genuine. Because when a Jew pursues his own spiritual advancement, I don't know how genuine it is. Maybe it's an ego trip. But when you help another person, that's as genuine as it gets. It's 1,000% authentic. Because what do I care? I only care about myself. 
So when you're actually helping another Jew, whether it's teaching or whether it's helping them physically or whether, whatever it is, you're dedicating your life to, for, for the sake of other Jews, that's as genuine as it gets. That's 1,000% authentic. So that's the beacon of light in this darkness of exile. In this generation that he calls earlier, Ikvisa the Mashiach, the souls of the feet, the angel of death of all generations. It's in this generation that we see this most intense beacon of light that we've ever seen. This outpouring of love, unconditional, causeless love of one Jew for the next, for the other. No rhyme, no reason. By doing something unprecedented. You're right, the Rebbe did something unprecedented. We don't find in previous generations to such an extent that people will selflessly go out and leave their families, uproot themselves in the warmth of their communities and their families. Unheard of, it's undone, it was never done before. Where does it say you're even obligated to? Where does it say you're even allowed to do this? But we throw all caution to the wind, put all calculations on the side, and without any questions asked, if it's a Jew dedicates his life just to make another Jew feel at home and feel comfortable, to do one mitzvah. This is the beacon of light, this intense, powerful beacon of light that we've never seen before, ever in Jewish history. And this is the antidote to the darkness of Golis. This is the key that will unlock the darkness. When Hashem sees the unconditional love, the care and concern of one Jew to the next, how one Jew cares about another, is not indifferent to another Jew, Hashem can't help himself. And he can no longer be indifferent to us. Hashem will have to demonstrate to us how he cares about us. By bringing Mashiach. That's the only way he can show that he cares about us. When he'll bring Mashiach, then we'll know that he cares about us. Until he brings Mashiach and leaves us in Golas, he loves us, but it's hidden. We don't see it. We don't see it. But here Jews are demonstrating and expressing their love for their fellow Jew without any hesitation, without any calculations, day in, day out, on such a global level, encompassing hundreds of thousands of Jews. Hashem can't help himself. Even if he wants to keep us in Golas, he won't be able to anymore. And this is the key that will force Hashem and unlock the door to once and for all show His, demonstrate His unconditional love for each and every one of us and take us all out of Golis this moment, this second. So the Rebbe knew this is, this is the command of our generation. We have to do this now. It's urgent. This is the only way out of this terrible darkness. The manner of the soul's descent is analogous to a child who is derived from his father's brain. Even the nails of his feet come into existence from the very same drop of semen which comes from his father's brain. How then were nails created from it? By being in the mother's womb for nine months, descending degree by degree, changing continually until even the nails are formed from it. Though the child's organs all derive from the same source, the drop of semen which comes from the father's brain, yet they develop into entities as radically diverse as the brain and the nail. Furthermore, Although the drop has been so altered as to become the substance of the child's nails, yet it is still bound to and united in a wondrous and mighty unity with its original essence and being, namely, the drop of semen as it came from the father's brain. Even now in the sun, the nails receive their nourishment and life from the brain that is in his head. The nails derive their life from the child's brain, which in turn retains the substance of its source, the brain of the father. Thus the nails, too, are bound up through the brain of the son with the father's brain. Evidence is now brought that the nails remain bound to the father's brain. As it is written in the Gemara, Nida Ibid, from the white of the father's drop of semen are formed the veins, the bones and the nails of the child. According to the Kabbalah too, there is a connection 
between the nails and the brain, as shall be presently stated. In its Chaim Sha'ach HaChashmal is likewise stated in connection with the esoteric principle of Adam's garments in the Garden of Eden, that they, the garments, were of nails, derived from the cognitive faculty of the brain. So every part of the body comes from the same source. Even the nails come from the same source. So the same, the same source of the mind and the heart, the same source, the same source is also the source for the, for the most external part, the nails. Exactly so, as it were, is the case with regard to every nefesh, ruach and neshama in the community of Israel and high. The soul, too, is changed from its original state by a process of development similar to the gestation which transforms a drop of sun. In the case of the soul, however, this process consists of a descent from world to world and from level to level within each world, as mentioned briefly above. Okay, let's uh, skip for now. The bottom of 58, three paragraphs from the bottom. By the soul's descending degree by degree, through the Ishtashalut of the roads to Avatsilut, Briah, Yetzirah, and Naziah, from God's wisdom. So the Kabbalists talk about their four basic worlds, the world of Atsilut, which comes from the word Vayetzal, um, that he delegates, like we find by Moshe, that Moshe, um, that God delegated from Moshe's spirit over the 70 elders. So to the world of Atzilut is a world in which like God delegated from himself um, and emanated from within himself the ten svirot of Atzilut. Also the word Atzilut comes from the word it's close to Hashem. It's a world that's close to Hashem. Even though it's the svirot are defined, 10 and not 11, 10 and not 9, wisdom, understanding, and knowledge these are all defined, there's a structure, there's a definition. Nevertheless, it's a world that's unified with God, and it's a world that God like emanates Himself from within Himself, and therefore it expresses Hashem Himself. Then you have the world of Berea, the world of creation. Creation, by its very name, tells us it's something from nothing, it's something new, something that does not exist in its source, disconnected from God. But nevertheless, this is just the potential for being. It's the most subtle form of being. It's a being that's totally swallowed up in the realization that its source is God and everything comes from God. But the fact that it senses itself is already the beginning of separation. So it's just the first beginning of separation, the potential for being, not actual being. And then you have the world of formation, where you already have a much greater form and definition. And then you have the world of, of action. Even the world of action is also still a spiritual world. Then you have, ultimately, which leads to our physical world, the physical, material world that we live in. So when the soul is born, just like when the soul comes into this world, just like when the child is born, it originates in the father's sperm, and then it has to stay in the mother's womb for nine months until it develops step by step. Slowly it develops its main organs, vital organs, and then it develops down to the toenail and it's here. And the further it develops, the further and the more radically separated it is on the surface from its source, and the original uh, sperm, which originates in the father's father's mind through his spine, 
ends up into, transforms itself into a toenail, into a hair. But um, so too, depending on the soul, the gestation of the soul, the levels that the soul passes through. So depending on the levels of the soul, the soul changes and transforms into a soul with an, a soul of intellectual bent, a soul with emotional bent, a soul which is down to earth, the masses, the multitudes, um, you know, the practical, practical souls. As the soul descends through the different worlds, even though all souls live in this world, have to go through this entire, what he calls, say that hishtalshalut, hishtalshalut comes from the word shalshelet, like a chain. One link leads to a lower link, to a lower link, so it's all connected. But it's like a chain reaction. So even though all souls have to go pass through the whole Seder Hishtal Shalut, because all souls live in this world, body and soul, born of flesh and blood, to mother and father, physical, earthy human beings. But nevertheless, there's a big difference. Because you have souls that pass through. For example, when you write something with your hand, you're writing words of wisdom with your hand. So the words of wisdom are not changed by the hand. The hand is just a tool. The hand is just recording what the mind is thinking. So it's not like the words have to change and has to fit into the hand to the level that the hand understands. The hand, the hand doesn't even understand what it's writing. The mind understands. The hand is just writing whatever the mind understands. So even though the mind has to, so to speak, pass through the hands, but it's not affected by the hand. It's just, it's just passing through. And the hand is delivering something that doesn't belong to the hand. It's delivering something that, that's intellectual, that's far superior to the hand. So that's what we call derech mavir, when something just passes through. So there are souls that pass through, like the souls of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu, even when he was living in this world, he was like a soul of the world of Atzilat. He experienced reality on the level of the world of emanation the level of the world of unity. To him, everything was unity. Everything was godly. He didn't, there was no world. To him, there was no separation. There was no, everything was godly. Because he lived, even when he was living in this world as a physical human being, he experienced reality on the level of the world of emanation. Because his soul was like in the sperm that transforms itself into the brain of the child. So that, that's the closest to its original source. It didn't go far from its original source. So the, the original source, which is the, the supernal wisdom, God's supernal wisdom, his soul was immediately formed on that level and stayed on that level, even though the soul had to go through the whole Seder Ashtasha until Moshe was born into flesh and blood, into a human being. But nevertheless, his soul was not changed. It just passed through the Seder Ashtasha, but it retained its state of, of uh, the world of Atzillus. Then you have, as a soul is transformed, Let's say you take a concept, and then the concept is transformed into an emotion. Emotion is a much lower level than pure concept. So it changes. It becomes defined by the level, by the heart. And then it works its way down, and then it changes and changes forms, and it becomes coarser and more gross until you end up with hair and nails and toenails, which is the furthest from... From, uh, from its source. So you end up with souls that have very little content, superficially, consciously. They're earthy, they're what he calls kalsha bakalim, they have no feelings, they're very light-headed, they don't take life seriously, they don't take themselves seriously, they don't value their life, they don't value 
their actions, uh, you know, life is a joke to them, or it's not serious, they don't appreciate, they don't have the ability to really take life seriously and take themselves seriously and take their, their behavior and their actions seriously. So, but this is a soul that's been affected by its Seder Ashtalsas. As the soul goes through this whole, all these worlds, there are some souls that stop in the lowest stop in the world of action, and that molds them and that affects them, and that's their, their experience. On a conscious level, that's how they experience reality. So even, just like when you look at the toenail, you don't see its source. You don't realize that it's the same source as the brain. So you look at this Jew, the Jewish soul. You don't realize that this Jewish soul is a holy soul. This Jewish soul has the same source as Moses. The piece of the divine essence, the supernal wisdom. Uh, as it is written, you have made them all with wisdom, Chokmah. Everything emanates from Chokmah, which is the source of Ishtar Shalut. Sorry, through this descent, the Nefesh, Ruach, and Neshama of the ignorant and least worthy come into being. Their souls who are most strongly affected by this descent, and therefore they are on the lowest level. Similarly, all the various levels of higher and lower souls are determined by the soul's descent through Ishtal Shalut. Some souls are affected to a greater degree, others less. The Alter Rebbe now relates to the second point in the analogy to our case. Just as in this analogy, the nails of the child are still bound up with their first source, though they are being constantly nurtured by the child's brain, so too is the, in the case of the soul. Nevertheless, notwithstand, notwithstanding the fact that they have already become souls of the lower levels, the souls of the ignorant and the least worthy, they, these lesser souls, remain bound and united with a wonderful and mighty unity with their original essence. Namely, an extension of a Homar Ilah, supernal wisdom. For the nurture and life of the Nefesh, Ruach, and Neshama of the ignorant are drawn from the Nefesh, Ruach, and Neshama of the righteous and the sages, the heads of Israel in their generation. By drawing their nurture and life from those who represent the levels of head and brain, all Jews are bound up with their source in Chokmah Ilah, supernal wisdom. This explains the com- comment of our sages on the verse, and cleave unto him, concerning which the question arises. How can mortal man cleave to God? In answer, our sages comment, He who cleaves unto a Torah scholar is deemed by the Torah to have actually become attached to the Shekhinah, the Divine Presence. I think this point we'll, we'll elaborate on uh, next week. We'll finish the chapter next week. Um, the point he's making here about a Rebbe, a Tzaddik, and also the last point in the chapter, which is a very powerful point. So he's saying that by being connected to the Tzaddik, by being connected to the Rebbe, um, that's how we, every Jewish soul, every soul is connected to its original source. In the supernal wisdom, by being connected to the tzaddik, because the tzaddik is consciously connected to godliness. The tzaddik senses godliness. The tzaddik lives and breathes godliness. So by us being connected to the soul of the tzaddik, that gives us divine nourishment. That nurtures our nisham. That nurtures our connection. Just like how does the toenail maintain its connection to its original source? Through the brain. There is no other way. It must connect to the brain 
And through the brain, the brain is connected to its original source, the brain of the Father. So too, for a Jewish soul to be connected to the divine, to that supernal wisdom, that pintle that divine spark, the way to connect to the divine spark is by being connected through the tzaddik, the rebbe, the leader of the generation, the head of the generation, the Moses of the generation. By being connected to the head of the, head of the generation, by being nullified before the head and being connected to the head and the head is connected to its source that's how we are connected to Hashem so in order for a Jew to connect with Hashem a Jew must be connected to the Talmud Chacham must be connected to the the head of the generation to the tzaddik of the generation who is connected with godliness um, on, a, on a conscious level and in order for us, so to speak, to activate our connection, to ignite that connection, and to receive nourishment, and to nurture that connection, we have to be consciously connected to the tzaddik. By being attached and connected to the tzaddik, and being nullified before the tzaddik, not only listening to the tzaddik, but also feeling connected to the tzaddik, then that's how our neshama receives its life and and nourishment. So in the yes. in the physical absence of tzaddik, we're connected, like we go to the oil and we... The tzaddik is, is, tzaddik is alive. The question is, are we alive? <laughs> I didn't see it that way. Yeah, tzaddik, he's not missing, we're missing. <laughs> right, right. I wouldn't worry about That's the tzaddik. very good, uh, yeah. <laughs> I want to worry about the tzaddik. <laughs> but things like physically going to the oil is, is, is maintaining a physical contact with him. Yeah. The Rebbe would go all the time to see his father-in-law. I'm sure he could have spoken to his father-in-law from his room. But he made a point of going physically because there's nothing like physical. That's the physical contact. By being there physically present where the body is, that's, that's being in the presence of the tzaddik. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.